I just want to start off just to intro this passage um, by telling you a story that happened to me. Um, I was a youth pastor for four years. I was atoning for past sins of my youth, so I was put in this ministry purgatory for a season of my life. Um, those years in high school of blowing spit wads, you know, while the speaker is trying to talk. Those years of making fun of our youth volunteers. We had this one, like, socially awkward volunteer named Roy, and we were on the bus, and we turned his whole, we turned the whole song Deck the Halls into just using Roy's name. Roy, 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 Roy. And the, like, we just, the whole bus ride, we just sang Roy uh, to the tune of Deck the Halls. And, and so I was um, needing to be punished for these sins. And so I was put in youth ministry for a season. And there I actually, uh, God did some really cool stuff. And we had um, some, a great volunteer team. And I had to work with junior high as part of my punishment. And, and this guy, Miles, uh, was one of those all-star volunteers. Like, he was... He was made for youth ministry. He was the big personality, the high energy guy. But the thing about Miles that made him exceptional for youth ministry were his really big feet. Okay, this guy had like unusually large feet. And there was no store with his, with his size. So he always had to wear these like white nursing home looking shoes. And and so the, the kids love this guy. I mean, he, was, he would have his connection group on his, like, 1984 Capri Classic. You know, one of those huge cars. And he'd, have all, he'd put, like, all the guys on the top of his car and try to have his connection group out there. This guy was amazing. Well, finally, Miles had this breakthrough moment. It's the moment that every middle school volunteer dreams of. It's that moment where the kids are listening to you. <laughs> They're dialed in. He's sharing the gospel after the sermon and, and he's sitting and they are just dialed in, in the circle, just all just really deeply contemplating this gospel presentation that Miles has thrown out there. And there was this kid in the circle named Quiggs. We called him Quiggs. He was a genius, like, but kind of hyperactive kid. No attention span. And even Quiggs was like super focused. And Miles was like, this is amazing. And, and at the end, he's like, he lands with like, this is the gospel. This is who Jesus is, and he's calling you to believe. And Quiggs is just shaking his head, and he's like, Quiggs, what is on your mind? And Quiggs says, the whole time you've been talking, I just cannot help but think, what size shoe do you wear? <laughs> and Miles is like, what? Like, that's what you got out of this? Like, the question, like, what I'm talking to you about Jesus and you're like what size shoe do you wear like the question was an indication that Quiggs had completely missed the point of everything that Miles and all of us were trying to to preach to to this little uh 12 year old kid right you have heard there's no such thing as a bad question. That's a lie, okay? There are bad questions. Why? Because questions reveal what you're curious about. 
What are you interested in? What do you want to know? What's in your heart? So you ask a question. Like, hey, I really want to understand this. Yeah, there's Jesus, but like, what I want to talk about is, what size shoe do you wear? And here's the thing. In Matthew 22, the same thing happens to Jesus. See, Jesus, there's this question that Jesus has for us. But then there's the questions that we have that are like, Jesus wants to talk about Jesus and we want to talk about what size shoe do you wear, right? And we encounter uh, a couple really bad questions that expose the condition of the hearts of these people back in the first century. And I think uh, it's going to reveal something about us as well. And these questions are related to politics and religion. The two topics you never talk about. Now we're in church, we can talk about religion, but we can't talk about politics. Um, but we're going there this morning. We're going. Are you ready? Um, I'm going to tell you who to vote for and just, it's going to be awesome. We're going to get this all figured out. And so, strap it in this morning. Verse 15 of Matthew chapter 22. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted how to trap him by what he said. So, they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Let's stop there. Here's the scene, okay? The Pharisees. They are the religious people of the day. That They're like the religious zealots, the fighting fundies, and they hate Rome. It kills them that there's this evil empire over them. Well, then there's this other group called the Herodians. Now, we don't know a lot about the Herodians. But what we do know is their name, okay? Herod was one of the government officials kind of put in place by Rome. And by the name Herodians, we can assume that these were a people that supported the government. They supported it because it represented their system of power, right? We're the Herodians. We're on Herod's side because Herod has the power. He's with Rome. He's with Caesar. And the Pharisees, they hate Rome. They hate Caesar. And so we've got these two groups of people. And guess what? They come together. This is like more amazing than the Democrats and Republicans coming together. Like this is, this, these like groups that hate each other. Like we have a common enemy and his name is Jesus. So we're going for it. Teacher, they said. We know that you are truthful and teach truthfully the way of God. You don't care what anyone thinks, nor do you show, show partiality. They're saying, you're like this independent statesman who doesn't care about offending political groups. Like, you just say it like it is. But actually, we know that this is just flattery, right? It's just a setup for what they're about to ask Jesus. Look at verse 17. Tell us then what you think, Jesus. Here's the question. You ready? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? That's the political question they have for Jesus. Like, we're going to trap Jesus because we're going we're gonna to pull the pin on the grenade, on the politics grenade. We're going to roll it at Jesus and see what he does. Because 
Either way he answers this question, somebody's going to hate him. And if we can rally and get the outrage machine going against Jesus, we can get the Twitter war against Jesus, boom, it's going to discredit him and we'll have no problem uh, with this because he'll make everyone mad. All right, so here it is. Now, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? As I said, Rome was evil, so here's the issue that they had. When we pay taxes, when we give our money to Caesar, we are funding this evil empire. How does a Christian justify funding Rome? So when you give a tax, you know that your money is probably funding an agenda that you disagree with as a Christian, right? Now, we might disagree with what those things are, but all of us in the room know that this government does not represent God. It's not perfect. And so, it has things that when you give, it's going to issues that you disagree with. So, should you, as a Christian, be funding those agendas? That was their question. Wouldn't you be justified in kind of cheating Rome out of their money so you could give more money to the temple or the church? Take the money away from Caesar and give it to God. Wouldn't you be justified in doing that? Look at verse 18. Perceiving their malicious intent, Jesus said, Why are you testing me, hypocrites? There are good questions and there are bad questions. This question revealed something about their heart. They weren't coming as seekers. They were coming as skeptics to just tear down Jesus. And this is not an innocent question. This is not even a distracted junior hire asking about shoe size. This is like an evil agenda question. Some of you guys have had this happen to you. Like you're the token Christian at work. You're the token Christian at your lab on campus. You're the token Christian in your neighborhood. And at the gathering or at the family gathering, people want to get around you and say, 2020 election, who are you voting for? They're just popping the pin and rolling the grenade at you. Like what are you going to say? The wall. What do you think about the wall? How about immigration? What do you think about immigration? Well, Planned Parenthood. What do you think about Planned Parenthood? And you know the only reason that you are being asked that question is so that when you answer they can say, yeah, see, that's why I'm not a Christian. Yeah, that's why because... I, yeah, see, that just proves it. And this is exactly what they're trying to do with Jesus. To get him to answer this like politically charged question. And so look at what Jesus does. Verse 19. This is amazing. Show me the coin used for the tax. So they brought him a denarius. Now, it's, it's, it's possible that they had to bring him a denarius. Like, hey, does anyone have a denarius? denarius? Because they're probably in the temple where they wouldn't even bring those coins into the temple area. Because it's like Rome's coin in God's house. So they had to go find someone. Hey, give me a denarius. They hand it to Jesus. He grabs it. He holds it up and says, 
Whose image is on this? Whose image and inscription is on this coin? He asked them, Caesar's, they said to him. Then he said to them, Give then to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God's, to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. He's looking at this little copper coin. This little coin with Caesar's, a picture of his head on it. And he says, whose picture is this? It's Caesar. So give, give that back to Caesar. Give what you owe him. And so clearly, um, Jesus is saying, pay your taxes. Obey the government authorities. Romans 13. We're not going to go there uh, entirely, but you can, there could be a whole sermon series on this idea of obeying authorities. Um, if you are cheating the government out of taxes, you are in disobedience. Jesus is saying, give, give the government what the government is asking of you in taxes. But look at what Jesus does. He redirects the issue from taxes and politics to the real issue. Give to God what is God's. So this begs the question, how do you know what's God's? How do you know? Like the coin has Caesar's image on it, so give that back to Caesar, but give to God what is God's. Well, how do you know what's God's? Is he saying, give a, give a tithe back to God? Is Jesus saying, give, give to Caesar that tax, but give God that 10% of your bank account, of your income, of your money. Give that and help us fill in the colored window. N no, that's not what Jesus says. Whose image is on the coin? Well, where is God's image? What has God's image on it? Do you know Genesis 1? Some of you that are new to church are like, I, I don't know. Well, here's an important verse. This is like on page 1 of the Bible. God created us humans in his image. Male and female, he created them what? In the image of God. We as humans have God's inscription on us. Our souls, like our ability to love people around us, that's a reflection of God. Our ability to laugh and have joy is like God's image on us. Our ability to, the difference between you and your dog this morning is you could walk out and look at the sun and say, wow, I lift my hands to heaven. Here's my heart. It's surrendered. Like you have like this, this God-shaped hole in you. You've got God's image on you, unlike your pet, right? So Jesus is saying, that coin has Caesar's inscription on it. And your body, mind, and soul has God's inscription on it. So give your country your taxes, but give, give God what? Give God you. Like all of it. Not just your 10% of your bank account, like he wants it all. That's like, oh, give to God what is God. Here's 10. He's like, oh, no, no, no. I want it all. I want your wholehearted devotion. 
I want your emotions. I want your thoughts. I want your energy. I want your passion. Here's the question. Is politics distracting you from the real issue? Which is wholehearted devotion to God. We get so passionate about gun laws and taxes and the wall and who to vote for in 2020. Those things matter, but they're not the real issue here. I have a concern for us as Christians that sometimes our political fervor outmatches our passion and zeal for Christ. And it actually ends up pushing us and other people away from Jesus. And it happens on both sides. And I'm not saying that uh, you shouldn't have political opinions and you shouldn't express those opinions. But the question is, has your loyalty to a party or a particular political passion caused you to miss the point that you, body, soul, spirit, belong to God? We're going to skip the next section on marriage and the resurrection. There's just not time. Uh, I guess one of the things we learned from that section, if you're wondering, in those next 11 verses, uh, spoiler alert for heaven. There's no marriage in heaven. Some of you are like, ah, bummer. Some of you are like, sweet. (laughs) I knew there were no more tears in heaven. So there's definitely not marriage, right? So... Um, no marriage in heaven, okay, that, but actually even that question that they have, uh, Jesus says, oh yeah, notice how God doesn't say, um, he's like, you guys don't get it, you don't understand the power of God or the, the word of God, and he's saying, the resurrection, it's going to be amazing, you're going to be glorious like the angels, just think, God doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I am the God, he's saying, there's a resurrection right now, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are with God, they're not married, but they are glorious, and it's going to be amazing, okay, that's just a summary of that section that we're skipping. Verse 34, we are going to talk about this, listen, uh, Matthew 22, 34, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Again, this is like round three. We skipped round two, but we're on round three. They come to question him. Verse 36, teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, now this is a religious expert. This guy is like a supreme court justice on the law. This guy knows the law of God. And he has come to test Jesus. What of all the commands, what's the greatest? And Jesus said to him, verse 37, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. Now here's what's going on. There are 613 commands in the Old Testament. Now give or take a few. There's some disputes. Some say 619, some say 613, but there's a lot of commandments in here. And he's saying of all of them, which is number one? This was a huge debate. They probably expected Jesus to say one of the Ten Commandments. And 
Jesus does not give them one of the commandments, the Ten Commandments. He quotes an even more familiar passage to the Jewish people. It's called the Shema, which is the Hebrew word for hear or listen from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, listen. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And this guy is listening to this. And this guy is probably relieved by Jesus' answer. He's probably relieved when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Because he, he could finish the statement. He probably started quoting it with Jesus and was like, check. I've got that one down. I'm so glad that's the one you said. It maybe wasn't what I was expecting. I was thinking you shall have no other gods before me. But man, you dropped the Shema. Check. I've got that. I'm good. I love God because I'm a devout Jew. Look at all that I'm doing. I read my Bible. I quote the Shema. I pray that Shema three times a day. I pray. I fast. I celebrate Passover. Feast of Tabernacles. I love God because look at all the religious things I'm doing. That is proof that I'm good to go. I was, um, went to my first ever Chicago Cubs game yesterday with my son. He turned uh, 10 today. So it's Jets 10th birthday. And, and we went to a Cubs game, our first ever game. It was amazing. But we're leaving Wrigley and we're walking to our friend's house that, that she lives on North Shore Drive just near Wrigley. And so we're walking there and there are these two Jewish guys uh, walking right in front of us. And so um, we're walking with them and uh, I, I said, Jet, that's, see those, those hats that they're wearing? Um, Jewish, we know that they're Jewish because they're, they're wearing this, this hat, but I couldn't remember what it was called. And so I just went up to them, hey guys, you guys, the, the hat that you're wearing, could you remind me what that's called? And they're, um, and uh, yeah, they said, yeah, uh, that's a, this is a, a kippah or a yarmulke. And I was like, oh, that's cool. What, what does it symbolize? And they're like, well, God is in heaven, so it's a sign of respect that we wear on our heads. I said, oh, do you just, do you just wear it on Shabbat, on Saturday, uh, the Sabbath? Or do you wear it? And they're like, no, 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 we wear it all the time as a, as a sign of respect. And so um, I said, guys, I love Deuteronomy 6. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament and I think Hebrew is such a beautiful uh, language. And so one time I tried to memorize the Shema in Hebrew and I just said, I can't, but I can't remember the end of it. It's like Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Achab. And I was like, can you finish it? Because it's so beautiful. Just want you to, wanted to hear them say it. And they're like, oh no, 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 no. We only say that in the temple or in like a sacred place if we're with other people. But um, we do pray that prayer or we say that three times a day when we wake up and sometime in the afternoon and then before we go to bed, we say that prayer. When Jesus said this, this would be the equivalent of you asking Jesus, what's the greatest, what do I need to do to get into heaven? What's the biggest, most important thing? And if he just says, believe in Jesus. And you're like, yes. I'm so glad you said that because everyone knows John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Right? You, 
That is what Jesus does here. But I want you to see what he does after he says that. Look at verse 39. The second command. You asked for one command, but I'm going to give you the second one and it's like it. That's probably a, a Hebrew way of saying this one's actually the same as the first one. It's not like there's number one and two's way down. He's like, this, this is right there with it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Jesus is saying, you can boil this whole book down to two things. Love God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of this, the law and the prophets, well, not all of it, just this part of it, like, hangs on those two commandments. Here's what Jesus is doing here. He is destroying this guy's idea of what it means to love God. He quotes this less familiar passage in Leviticus to say this. The way that you test whether or not you love God is not by your religious rules. It's not by keeping the religious traditions. The way that you test whether or not you love God is not whether or not you're here this morning. Like this, you sitting in your chair, lifting your hands to God, is not the best indication of whether or not you actually love God. The best test is how you treat the people around you. The love that comes out of you for people, those people with God's imprint and inscription on them, the way that you treat those little gods, as it were, like these human beings that are going to live forever, like the way that you treat those people is an indication of whether or not you love God. Whether or not God lives in you. So here's the, the, the question this morning. Um, we've got like the question that we want to ask God that misses the point. But then we've got the real issue. Here's the question. Is religion distracting you from the real issue? Here's the real issue. Christianity is not a list of things you do. It's people you love. It's people you love. I mean the first person you love is God, right? Jesus Christ, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And, and then it's the people around you. As the love of God gets inside you, it begins to go through you to the other people. So when you used to be quick to anger and somebody does something, you're like, I can't believe you did that. Your first response is patience, kindness, gentleness, Self-control. Humility. This is the stuff that comes out when God's love is in you. 1 John 4, 8. I want you to see this. And then verses 20 through 21. John says, this is a guy who spent time with Jesus. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. If you don't have love in your heart, whatever religious things you're doing, 
it doesn't matter. You, you actually don't love God because God is love. Verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. I think he's talking about Matthew 22. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Okay. So, two questions that we've encountered about politics. Hey, should we pay taxes or not? Oh, here's another question. About religion, what's the greatest command? To trap Jesus. And now Jesus does something. He turns the table on them. And he has a question for them. Look at verse 41. While the Pharisees were together, Jesus questioned them. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? They replied, David's. He asked them, how is it then that David, inspired by the Spirit, calls him Lord? And then he quotes Psalm 110. The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how then can he be his son? No one was able to answer him at all. And from that day, no one dared to question him anymore. Here's what Jesus is saying. Hey guys, I want to talk to you about the Messiah. About this, this one who's going to come. Whose son is he? Like what's his ancestry? You know you've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We got Moses. We got all the Elijah. All these big names. We've got, we've got David, Solomon. All these people. Like where does the Messiah come from? Like who's his great, great, great grandfather? Right? And they're like, David's. And he says, yeah, that's right. Now I want to talk to you about Psalm 110 because David wrote down a psalm. And David, when he was talking about this Messiah that's going to come and rule over the earth, he says, the Lord, like Yahweh, the Lord, the God of Genesis 1 that created the world, said to my Lord. Wait, this is weird. We've got... David, the most powerful person on earth, the most important king of Israel, saying to God, the Lord said to my Lord, like there's somebody above David that's way more important and powerful. If this person was merely of human descent, why would he, why would David call this Messiah Lord if he was just one of his great, great, great grandsons? Jesus says, I, explain that to me. I want to take you back to my conversation with my Jewish friends outside of Wrigley. We're walking and I'm thinking, well, it worked for Jesus. I'm going to try it on these guys. So I was like, do you guys believe that there's a Messiah that's going to come? And they're like, yes. We hope he comes soon. And I was like, that's amazing. Like, whose son is he going to be? Like, what will his ancestry be? Because I think in the Old Testament it talks about David and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, 
He'll be a son of David. And uh, well, there's some, some, a lot of people think son of David. I was like, that's crazy. Because David wrote this psalm, Psalm 110. And he says, David writes and he says, the Lord, when he, this whole psalm, Psalm 110, it's amazing. It's about the Messiah. He's going to come rule. He's going to be throwing down iron scepter. I mean, everyone's going to be submitted. And David says about that guy, the Messiah that's coming, he, he says, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David is the greatest of all the kings, and why would he call the Messiah his Lord? And we're walking, and they're like, Yeah, we haven't studied that passage in a while, and they just took a right turn and <laughs> left us. And actually, as it turns out, that's kind of how this passage ends. Look at this. No one was able to answer him at all. And from that day, no one dared to question him anymore. That's how this text ends this morning. But that's not necessarily how this service is going to end. Because Jesus is asking you the question. And here's the question. It's like, am I worthy? David's having this conversation like a thousand years before Jesus and he's saying, David knew who the Messiah was, that he was going to be the Lord. Who do you guys say that I am? Because I'm claiming to be the Messiah. I'm claiming to be the Lord. And so here's the real issue. It's not politics. It's not our religious rules and interpretations. It is Jesus. Jesus wants to talk to you about the lordship of Jesus in your life this morning. Jesus wants to confront you with the reality that he is the Lord. Is he worthy this morning? See, all these questions in Matthew 22 are not just innocently missing the point. They are intentionally suppressing the truth. Jesus is the truth and they hate him because he's about to disrupt their whole system of power and greed. He's about to tear down the whole temple all of the ceremonies that they're doing, everything that they hold dear, he's about to tear it down. What they wanted was David, King David reincarnated to come back and destroy all the bad guys, but guess what they got? They got a suffering servant. As we were walking in Chicago, we saw some just really sad, dark things. And as we were with these Jewish guys and they were saying, yes, Messiah is coming and we hope he will come soon. 
what they had in their minds was because he's going to, all this junk that's going down in the city, he's going to throw down and we're going to be with him. Messiah, this suffering servant, is not what these people wanted, but it's exactly what they needed. Because Jesus is saying, no, when I come, I'm not going to destroy all these evil people in Chicago. I'm going to die for them. I'm going to the cross. And I'm going to say to the people who are nailing me to the cross and who are boasting in their sin and in flagrant rebellion, I'm going to say, Father, forgive them, please. Forgive them. I don't know what you want from Jesus this morning, but I know what he wants from you. He wants you to be confronted with his lordship, to look at him and to call him Lord, my God, my Savior. He doesn't just want to offend the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, some people way back in the first century. He wants to offend us. When someone gets in the presence of Jesus, everyone gets offended. Democrats, Republicans, the whole, everybody. Because he is outside, he is transcendent, and he is the Lord and he wants to expose our sin and smash our idols and destroy our systems of greed and power and amassing wealth and replace it with love, redemption, and grace. Is he worthy this morning? Let's pray together as we close our time. King Jesus, we need you to Reveal yourself to us this morning. God, as we continue, as we, we leave this place worshiping, would you reveal your glory? We know that you are exactly what we need, even though a lot of times you're not what we want, because we want you just to come and fix our problems. We want you to come and just... solve all our political issues or our, you know, come and, and fix our health or fix our financial issues or fix this or that thing. And what we really need is, is to be forgiven of our sin. And so come, Jesus, and fill, replace our hate with love. And just do some work this morning as we look at the Lordship of Jesus. Amen.